for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. Oh my lord, happy days are here again. The long national nightmare is over. After three months, Gaskins and Zim back together again. Some thought this thing was over. It's not over. Matt, how you doing? Did you miss me? I thought it was over. <laughs> Why'd you think it was over? <laughs> I just figured that you had thrown in the towel, and uh, I was kind of, I could go with it either way. I was, part of me was like, oh, that kind of is too bad. That was a fun thing to do every week, and part of me was like, yeah, that's fine, but that's something I don't have to worry about every week. So I was kind of on the fence about it, waiting for you to decide what the plan was, and so when you said you wanted to get back on the horse, I was all for it, but as you know, I, I made you wait a couple weeks because I was busy with some other stuff, but now feels like a good time to... uh to resume the show that no one listens to anyway. Oh, exactly. Well, you know, I yeah, we were both extremely busy. You've been, like, you know, holding down the fort, writing all of the sports articles for the Argus Leader. And uh, I've been here at the Birdcage, and that's where I am. We're not at Gateway Lounge. We will someday soon be again having beers, talking uh, in person. Uh, but we're still acting like it's the pandemic, and there Matt is stepping outside or something in his house as he tends to occasionally Arthur the four-year-old and uh, I'm here in the office all alone uh, I somehow found beer in, within the stadium at Sioux Falls Stadium it's a miracle so I have one you have you started yet are you in the true uh, spirit of this thing I had a beer with dinner I just got done making dinner for the family okay and, uh, but I will well no I think I'm, I, I always I always go downstairs to do this because you know there's a five he's not five five-year-old upstairs <laughs> making noise and Jen's running around and yeah. so I kind of have some privacy, but also give them privacy so they don't have to listen to us. But as you know, I have a mini fridge stocked full of beer down here, so I might as well get there. out here. Yeah, there you go. Get in the spirit, right? Beer's not going to drink itself. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and you deserve it, too. It sounds like you've been working hard. You've been going to all these, uh, well, our, our four Division One and Division Two college football camps that have gotten started. I mean, that's partly why we're starting back up again for obvious reasons. Uh, football is America's pastime. Drinking beer, talking about football is uh, more of America's pastime. So it's a good place to start. And um, But I've been at the ballpark all summer with the Sioux Falls Canaries uh, uh, beyond the full-time job. We have 17 games left. So before the football talk begins, folks, if you haven't come out here, it's a blast. It's the best outdoor patio, the best outdoor bar you could imagine in Sioux Falls. It's good enough with just baseball, beer, green grass, cold drinks, but uh, we try to make it as much fun as possible for you when you come to the park, whether you like baseball or not, or the people you are with like baseball or not. So you've been out here a couple times. Quick word, how'd you enjoy your experience? Because I know you've gone with the family, and I know you went with a big group from the Argus one night. Yeah, I had a blast. I think we've been to three or four games this summer, and uh, always had a good time. Um, you know, I, I like to go for the baseball, you know, whether the Canaries are having a great season or not, or whatever it is. It's just, you know, I like going to sit and watch baseball games and the quality of play in the American association. I always tell people is pretty good. I think it was a little better last year because of the pandemic and, you know, in a smaller league that, you know, makes sense. Deep into the talent it's, pool for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a little different this year and just, you know, 
I don't want to bash your team too much here, but obviously they're not having a very good year on the field. And, and it's not even so much that they're not winning a lot of games, but as we've talked about, they're a good offensive team and a not very good pitching team, which means an awful lot of 13 to 12 type of games. So it's a lot of long three and a half hour type of games, which you know probably means you're not going to stay for the whole nine. But every time I've been there, like I said, hot dogs are great. The beer is cold. Uh, Arthur has an absolute blast every time, you know, gets to, get his picture taken with a mascot and on Sundays run around the bases. And uh, on Wednesday, you guys are having the matinee game. Uh, if I can get enough work done tomorrow, I'm going to try and bring him out there for that because that's always a fun one too. Well, we got a guy who uh, balances things like knives and ladders on his mouth from his like teeth and stuff. Like It's called Tyler's Amazing Balancing Act. So we've got uh, probably the best outside entertainment We've had all year. I know you were at Big Lebowski night. That was a deal mm-hmm. where you take a movie that's not exactly a not exactly a mainstream classic like a Star Wars. Uh, we're gonna have a superhero movie Saturday, uh, September fourth, and yet the promotion worked because we changed our name to the Dudes, um, and uh, I dressed up as the Dude, Jeff Bridges' character in the movie. Although you likened my costume more to Jesus Christ, <laughs> because that's all you could do is be critical of my costume. And the wig in, was way too dark. Yeah, Your goatee yeah, we, wasn't long enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I got 56 <laughs> games to plan. I'm not going <laughs> to nail down every finite detail, like how curly the dude's hair is. But uh, but be, but I had a bunch of kids yelling, "Hey, dude!" They were calling me "dude" the whole night, and I was like, "Good." They haven't seen the movie. This is not a movie. I don't think my parents would let me see when I was five. But uh, we're just having a good time for all ages. And uh, Arthur got to enjoy the bird. He got to enjoy that. We have a playground out here. So yes, a gratuitous plug. 17 games left bring the family out here we have a playground we had a have a kids zone it's supervised so your kids can play on the playground bounce houses and it's free now they used to charge they used to charge for that it's free now we were pleasantly surprised to discover that as it should be and uh so there's a place down below the first base grandstand if you want to take your kids out for night get them the heck out of the house uh, for a reasonably priced entertainment experience, they can play in the playground and run around the stadium. It's a, it's a safe place to run around. We have staff all over the place, and you can sit and enjoy beer and our entertainment at Canaries Games. SFCanaries.com for tickets. 17 games left. If you're a USD fan, and I know some of you listening are, we have USD night on Saturday. Charlie Coyote will be there to entertain with KG the Bird and Peep the Bird, and uh, it'll be a yote fest. What else can I say? A big tailgate party in the stadium for USD fans. We had Jackrabbit night not too long ago. We were going to start with Kirk Cousins and uh, <laughs> just the uh, shit show that always is the Minnesota Vikings. But uh, no matter what, they, they, they find a way to be a freak show uh, almost every training camp that comes around. So they, even if they're not going to be a very good football team, uh, or they're going to be good and colossally disappoint the fans in January. You can always count on them making some sort of goofy headlines in August. And we will get to that. But on Jackrabbit Night for SDSU fans here at the ballpark mid-July, I decided not to make a deal of this because you know, I'm, I'm with the Canaries and I'm not necessarily full-fledged media right now. Uh, I could have. Uh, but uh, And this won't surprise you, but I don't know if I even told you this. So John Stiegelmeyer, the Jackrabbits head coach, um, he uh, he threw out the first pitch for a second straight year on Jackrabbit Night with the Canaries, and he uh, gave a speech. And this time, instead of after the first pitch, I had him do it in the middle of the game. I plan all these things, for those who don't know. Uh, it's my, my job is to plan these things. He uh, I had him speak in the middle of the game when there were more fans because, you know, fans tend to show up. Uh, after first pitch, sometimes not until the second or third inning. So in the fourth <laughs> inning, John Stiegelmeyer gets up there, 
And uh, I told him, you, you know, you got the mic for a minute, whatever you want to say, uh, between uh, between the, uh, I don't know, the, the top and bottom of the fourth inning. And he gets up there. And what did he, he say, John? He thanks everybody for being there. And uh, he kind of builds it up for about 30 seconds. We want you to come on out to Dana J. Dyke House, buy some tickets. And, oh, by the way, we want you to buy some tickets for that game in Frisco in January because we plan on being there again and we plan on winning it this time. So he called his shot predicting the Jackrabbits to win the national <laughs> title. I was expecting something a little juicier than that. but <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, he hasn't shied away from saying the words national championship as sure. a goal for the program, but he uh, predicted they were going to be there and win it. So, as he should, they had damn near almost won it this past May, which was the last time we did a podcast. So has there been anything since then to, to stray your belief that they could make it back and win it? Well, they won't have Mark Gronowski, you know, and or Jabore Gibbs, so quarterback is the big question mark. But uh, Chris Oladokun, the transfer from Sanford, who previously started a couple games at the FBS level with uh, USF, South Florida, he looks really good. And uh, I've got to talk to him a couple times. He's a really sharp kid. Uh, he reminds me a lot of Taron Christian in his demeanor, his style of play. He even kind of looks like it a little bit, and it's kind of kind of uncanny. But, uh, huh. you know, I, I don't mean to suggest that it isn't a quarterback competition. That's how, you know, I kind of built it up with some of the stuff I've written. That's certainly what the Jacks coaches want to portray publicly. Um, but it sure feels like like Chris is going to be the guy. And that isn't even really anything against Keaton Heidi. He's just a, a more dynamic player. He's older. He's been around a lot more experience. Uh, and the only real question was, you know, coming in on such short notice, is he going to be able to learn the offense and all that? And it sure seems like that's happening really quickly because the guy, you know, has played so long, has so much experience with different programs. So he's the, you know, the X factor, the question mark, whatever you want to say. And, you know, we'll find out for real when games start, you know, especially opening the season at Colorado State. But he looks really good. And if he can play, you know, anywhere on the same level as Mark Gronowski, I think he'll be a different player. He probably won't be quite as much of a running threat as Mark was, not that he can't be, I just think they don't want to use him quite as much as they use Mark. Uh, he, he should be a better passer. Um, you know, they brought in uh, Landon Wolf, a wide receiver from Oklahoma State, who who actually played at Oklahoma State. You know, he wasn't just the guy who was there riding the pine and then transferred here. I mean, he's played a lot. So that's going to be a big weapon to add to the receiving core. Um, I just, you know, th th there really aren't any weaknesses on this team. And, and you look at the depth, too. I mean, their offensive line, you know, Jason Eck made the point that, you know, last year nobody got hurt and everyone played great. And that's probably not something you can count on happening every year, but they have so much depth now, you know, and on the defensive line, you know, not to pick on USD by any means, but when I was talking to their coaches before the season, they were saying, yeah, you know, we think we might be, you know, five or six deep on the defensive line and SDSU's 10 deep, you know, almost 12 deep. Um, and that's just it. I mean, you look at every position group they've got, I mean, they just have so much depth and so many guys who, you know, are just trying to get into the rotation that would probably be starting for some other teams. So, I mean, I, I'm not guaranteeing or predicting anything. You know, it's an incredibly difficult league, and I would expect that North Dakota State's going to be a little bit better. And uh, I actually do like the Coyotes. I think they need a few things to break their way because they don't quite have that depth. Uh, but if they stay healthy, I think they can really be a sleeper. Um, so, so who knows? Getting back to Frisco – you know, that's why it hurts so much when you lose in that game, because everyone knows it's not easy to get back there. You're talking about, you know, 15, 16 games in a, in a full, you know, fall season now. So 
not predicting that, but yeah, are they one of the favorites? Can they get back there? Absolutely. They have everything, you know, on paper that they would need. So I, I hate to I hate to use it, and I try not to use it, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, second time I've used it, gratuitously. But the Jackrabbits coming that close and losing a national title game and trying to do it for the first time in school history and to do it for a coach who's built the program up and has already secured – most, if not all, of his legacy as a legendary coach. You should have a statue built after him. Uh, also, just a really terrific man from all accounts. Uh, in John Stiegelmeyer, after 23, 24 years, and being one of the better teams in America and not getting to the game, this all reminded me of Nebraska when the Tom Osborne had been there for 22 years. And they make it, uh, they come close but can't quite win the big one a few times for the national title. And then <coughs> they lose one in 1993 to Florida State, heartbreakingly, in the final seconds. And what happened was a lot of the same dudes were coming back, including the quarterback. Uh, and uh, that whole team, uh, they got screwed. They got screwed by some terrible calls in that game as well, but they also didn't do enough themselves to leave no doubt. So they put the, the, the players got all, you know, that whole bitter taste in their mouth thing, chip on their shoulder thing. They made T-shirts and they called the slogan of their season unfinished business. And during summer camp, may, maybe even it started as early as spring ball, they put up on the scoreboard at Memorial Stadium where they practiced the 16-15, Nebraska, Florida State, one fifteen left in the game. That was before Florida State drove down, kicked the game-winning field goal. And so that whole, so they were reminded every day of how close they came to winning the national title and couldn't finish it. So it was a clear driving force, and, uh, you know, they went and won the national title in 1994. Do you sense any sort of a similar thing like that's what, especially so, so much closer to it in real time, where this thing happened in May, not last January, is there a sense of that sort of thing in Brookings? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've been to two practices so far, and in both of them, John Stiglmeyer used the words 23 to 21 in his post-practice address to the team. That was the final score of the game. And, uh, you know, I talked to all the assistant coaches in the preseason as part of my training camp previews. And, you know, I asked all of them about it to varying degrees, or I, I asked all of them about it and they all responded to it in varying degrees. But uh, Jimmy Rogers, the linebackers coach and code D coordinator who, you know, is a former Jackrabbit linebacker himself. Uh, I was, I shouldn't say surprised because knowing Jimmy, it didn't surprise me, but I guess it was notable how, blunt he was in talking about that and saying we should have won that game and we didn't you know we didn't make one more play you know the the, the one of the uh mantras of the program is last play they actually have la the words last play on the back of their helmets i believe and uh in this particular season you know the last play was the one they didn't make you know they were one play away one more play and they're national champions and granted I think everyone rec recognizes that if mark granowski doesn't get hurt in that game the jacks probably win but he did get hurt and so that's how it played out. And, you know, they're, uh, I, I think they all understand how, how difficult it is to get back so that you can't just kind of go, oh, well, we were there last year and everyone's back, so we're going to be awesome again. I think they all kind of have a good understanding that it doesn't work that way. Uh, Michael Griffin, their senior safety, I thought summed it up well when I asked him about it. He said, because I, I said, you know, how much do you, you know, constantly – go over that, you know, constantly talk about 23-21 and we lost that game and use that as a motivator. I said, don't you at some point kind of have to leave that in the past and move on? How do you sort of balance that? And he said, yeah, he, he said, you want to use it as a motivator, but you don't want to dwell on it. 
And so I, I get the sense that what he meant by that is it can't be something that's constantly haunting you. It can't be something that, you know, you, you don't let go of at some point. But how they try to use it is, you know, when it's hotter than hell in practice and you're ready yeah. to quit, you know, or, or, you know, you just don't feel like going to lift that night or, or whatever it is. When, you know, when you're kind of tired and want to take a break, that's when you think about 23, 21 and how close you were. And so I think that's how they're going to try to use it. Uh, I kind of like the fact that they aren't, you know, what you were just talking about with, with Nebraska, unfinished business and making T-shirts and everything. I mean, not like Nebraska is the only team that's ever done that. I mean, nowadays it feels like everyone does something like that. Sure. I think it would be a little corny if the Jacks went that far. So I, I hope that they aren't planning on, on, on doing that. But there's no question that, you know, Stig is really pushing, hey, we were one play away. Hmm. So, Well, there's substance in that because – Part of what it was for Nebraska was the same thing. They had this lead and they couldn't finish off the deal. And then the next year they play in the Orange Bowl for the national title against Miami and Miami's own house. And uh, the big thing was driving through those awful dog days of summer and being a better physically conditioned team. Going to the weight, with the weight room and with anything you're doing on the field at practice. And that's part, that's a big reason why they beat Miami and finally broke through was they were the better physically conditioned team. They just wore the other team down in a, in a mm-hmm. battle of teams that were about equally as talented. But here's the other thing. So it's good that that's, you know, SDSU's putting that in the right place because it can come down a lot to physical conditioning. I always It always appears North Dakota State is not just more talented, but just more physically capable of driving through a game, although a lot of their games are, are blowouts early. Uh, the other thing is the talent is there at SDSU, right? The talent and confidence is now there. They know they're good. Have you, in the last few years, sensed that? There's just a more of a feeling that not, I hope we're good, but we know we're good? Uh, I think they, if there were any doubts, they proved that to themselves last year. Uh, but have, it's kind of been an ongoing process. You know, it's funny when this is my sixth or seventh year on the SDSU beat and when I first started covering them, you know, they were already a, a top 10, top five team. And I remember thinking, well, geez, you know, Zach Zenner was just here and Austin Sumner was just here and they've got Jake Winicky and all these guys and, and thinking, you know, how much better can they get? You know, they, you know, they must be pretty close. And I look back now to those teams and certainly I don't mean to disrespect any of them, but they're so much better now, just so much deeper, so much, so, so much more talent across the board. Um, a lot of those teams in the early 2010s and mid 2010s, you know, had a ton of, you had the star power, the guys I just mentioned, the Austin Sumner, Zach Zenners, and even into Jake Winicky, uh, Dallas Goddard. You know, I sometimes to sit here and go, man, this team that had a freshman quarterback and, you know, the Yankee twins as their top receivers and, you know, all th- those guys got to the national championship, but a team with Taryn Christian and Dallas Goddard and Jake Winicky and Christian Roseboom, those guys couldn't. Like, how does that even make sense? But if you look closer or, or, or you know, kind of look at, at the big picture, it's because, okay, yeah, maybe last year's team didn't have, you know, three or four NFL draft picks on the team, uh, but they had no weaknesses. And, and like I just got done saying about this year's team, that where's the weakness? You know, the defensive line is absolutely loaded. Their linebacking core is very good. Their secondary is very deep and has a lot of high-end talent. You know, the two best running backs in FCS. I mean, Pierre Strong is a two-time All-American. He might not even be the best running back on his team. Uh, and like I said, you meant you add a, a Big 12 guy to the Yankee Twins at receiver. Uh, they got possibly two tight ends who could play in the NFL. And then an offensive line that, like I said, you know, five starters that played every game and three of them were all conference and probably all five of them could have been. I mean, this team, 
is so much more balanced across the board. There are no position groups or individual spots where they're trying to hide somebody, you know, or where they're like, well, you know, maybe we can just get by with this guy if the guy next to him plays really well. I mean, they have an all-conference caliber player at every position and potentially too deep at every position. And that doesn't happen overnight. You know, you can look back to five, six years ago and say, yeah, those Jacks teams were good. Uh, but as those teams were competing and as those upperclassmen were the ones trying to win them games at the time, it was the recruits coming in, the younger guys, where they were building what we have now. You know, all these guys that uh, – and, and I think the S-Jack, the new stadium, uh, you know, some of the guys they brought in that were part of the coaching staff, uh, that all played a big role in it. You know, there's no question that the caliber of recruit they've been able to get has gotten better. Uh, they don't swing and miss very often. I mean, if you look, their track record of – of hitting on recruits. I mean, every day, every year on senior day, you know, I always say senior day is when you know how good a team recruits because if they have seven mm. guys on senior day, that means they're shitty at it. And mm. if they have 20, if they have 25 guys celebrating senior day, that means they're, they're hitting out of the park on recruiting day. So mm. that's what the Jacks have been doing. And this has been a, a, a long time coming sort of thing. And we'll see how long it can sustain itself. But I think there's definitely a chance. Now, now don't get me wrong. They could, this maybe last year was, the, you know, the high water mark, and, and they're going to regress a little bit. I don't know. But there's a chance that they're just sort of starting to crack that window open and maybe finally get a little bit on equal footing or close to it with the NDSU's and James Madison's and Sam Houston's and those schools. Yeah, and clearly it'll come down a lot to quarterback play because I think if you have Gronowski for that whole game at full speed, the result is probably different. He's a good enough player that he makes a one-play difference. But it's also, for the long haul, you know, you mentioned it, the, the big difference w without having the same talent uh, at wide receiver and, and you know, running back, you mentioned Pierre Strong, but you go back to those heydays when their biggest stars were quarterbacks and receivers sometimes a running back and they didn't have they they didn't have the depth you mentioned but it's up front it's it's what happens yeah. up front it has yeah. to you can get by a lot like USD did with Chris Strevler a few years ago and win eight games and beat some and beat some of the better teams here and there uh, and light it up but it, it does come down to the trenches that's a really old cliche but it makes a difference if you want to win it all clearly the jacks now have that but of course the team that's set the model for that, is North Dakota State, who usually had the best quarterback in the nation to boot and a few of the other best players in the country at skill positions, but they've always had lines that beat you up. So what about the Bison? Uh, it's a team that South Dakota State, at the end of last season, as flawed and weird as it was, it was still the end of the season where you've had plenty of time to uh, evaluate yourself and get better. Now, granted, the Jacks had a couple extra weeks to get ready for that game with games that were canceled ahead of it. Uh, they were healthier, but they they took it to North Dakota State. Uh, how does North Dakota State look right now on the as an obstacle to the Jackrabbits? Um, well, I'd be lying if I told you that I've you know like give, gone through a whole big breakdown of their roster and all that. You know, it kind of will remain to be seen. Uh, I do know that last year was the worst team they've had in a long time. Uh, and they were still pretty good. You know, I believe they, uh, you know, were in the final eight or something. Um, but, you know, for them to lose a couple games in the regular season and then get beat in the playoffs before we even got to the semifinals or whatever it was, you know, that a bad NDSU team is obviously, you know, the kind of season other teams dream of. But they got smoked by Southern Illinois. Uh, you mentioned the Jacks. I don't remember what the score of the game was, but they clearly pushed them around. Um, and you could almost tell a little bit from talking to the SDSU coaches after that game, 
I mean, they have a, a, a great deal of respect for NDSU, no matter how much they may hate them or get sick of losing to them. The, the respect is always there. But you could kind of tell they were like, wow, we we were much a, just a much better physical football team than them. We pushed them around. You know, that's usually not how it goes. Even games where the Jacks have won, um, they usually weren't able to do it that way. You know, everyone remembers the Terran Christian game where they, I don't want to say they used smoke and mirrors, but they had kind of been keeping the quarterback run game under wraps and then they unleashed it and Taron kind of won that game by himself. And then there was the game at uh, Dykow stadium the next year uh, where the Jacks won pretty comfortably because Easton stick played terrible, you know, turned it over four times and, and the Jacks just kind of got the crowd behind them and, and rolled to a win there. This was the first time really, I think that you could say the Jacks just beat NDSU with their own game, sort of the smash mouth thing. And we'll see how, how well NDSU has reloaded. I know, uh, you know, they didn't get very good quarterback play last year. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the situation is there. I, I know the freshman that they ended up playing at the end of last year showed some promise, and he'll be back. But I believe they have a D1 transfer who's in there competing. Um, you know, their offensive line still has a couple all-conference guys on there. You know, maybe they're not as deep as the Jacks are, but maybe they will be. You know, I know they also had a bunch of injuries last year. You know, the spring season, like you mentioned, was weird for a lot of teams. The Jacks might have been the only team or one of the only teams that they really didn't lose anybody in the, in that that whole spring season. They didn't have anybody opt out, you know, or get sick. And what, I shouldn't say that. Seven Wilson had to retire, and uh, Brady Sorensen, their long snapper, didn't play. But for the most part, they had their whole team. So, um, you know, NDSU is obviously a team that's capable of of reloading immediately. They're not going to you know go through some long rebuild or anything. So, um, I would expect they're going to be very good again. Uh, I picked the Jacks to win the league, largely just out of respect for what they accomplished last year. But I don't think anyone would be surprised if the Bison are back in Frisco. And it'd be cool if they were both there. I mean, I think we've all been kind of waiting and hoping for an NDSU-SDSU Super Bowl national championship. That would be fun. And it could happen because I think in a lot of years, they're the two best teams or two of the three or four best. And I think that's going to be the case again. I mean, we always talk about how good the Valley is. And we're not just blowing smoke. The Valley is a fantastic league. It's the SEC of the FCS or the Big Ten, however you want to describe it. And that makes it fun because there's teams in this league that, you know, will finish the season four and seven, um, but would be would probably be a, a playoff caliber team. The league is just that good. Having said that, SDSU and NDSU, I think, have pretty clearly pulled away a little bit to where those two are the, sort of the elite top tier. And I don't know right now if there's a third team in the Valley. You know, Southern Illinois, obviously, they smoked the Bison last year, gave the Jacks a run in the playoffs. Northern Iowa has, you know, they seem kind of hot and cold when they're on. They're really good, but, but you know, three or four times a year they're shitty and they get beat. So so I don't know, but NDSU, SDSU, I think we all just kind of assume they're going to be there in December. And then there's USD because uh, because of Brian Hank Henshin's Moving on to the Indianapolis Star, and congrats to Hank. Uh, boy, he was a he was a workhorse uh, for six years for the Argus Leader, and uh, truly earned his keep. And that included his beats for both high school football and USD's coverage. But uh, it, you're keeping the seat warm for his replacement, and you've done a little. Uh, Heading down to Vermilion and checking out the Coyotes. You you briefly mentioned uh, they're just not quite there with the depth that SDSU has. I think you mentioned on the defensive line, but it probably applies to a lot of positions. But more depth than they've been used to. 
and so what's your impression? You look at Bob Nielsen with, I think he has three, four, or five win seasons, and that one magical eight-win season in, with a playoff win with Chris Streveler, clearly the X factor. Other than that, it's been it's been a lot of growing pains for Bob Nielsen. What's your feeling on this team? Like I said, I think they can be a sleeper. Um, there's there's a lot of talent in almost every position group. I, I don't I don't really look at any of their there's places on the roster and go, oh, they're screwed here. You know, they're they're really good at receiver, good at tight end. Offensive line's probably the big question mark because they stunk last year. They got beat up and pushed around. Uh, but they were a bunch of a lot of them anyway were young guys. Mason Scheidegger, their best offensive lineman, I think only played one game. Uh, and everyone's back. And continuity means more at offensive line than any other position. You know, a lot of times they say, oh, we got these guys back. Well, so what? Are they any good? Uh, at offensive line, anytime you've got all your starters coming back, that's a big deal. So I think there's room for growth there. Uh, Carson Camp, the freshman quarterback, who will still be a freshman, he'll have a chance to be a five-year starter. Um, he looked pretty good last year. You know, he was thrown to the fire and and more than held his own. Um, it's There's no guarantee that he's going to take that next step. He could regress, but if he does take another step forward, that would be great for them. Uh, running back Kai Henry left the program, but he wasn't very good last year, you know, and, and they like a couple guys stepping in there that they're kind of going to kind of do it by committee with uh, Mike Mansoray and Travis Tice. And, um, you know, so I think the offense, there, there's a lot of potential there. Defense has been getting pushed around at times, you know, but I was talking to their D coordinator, Travis Johansson, and, I think he was a little defensive when I was kind of talking about, well, you know, he couldn't stop the run and he gave a lot of yards and this, that, and the other. But he did point out that they were pretty good at keeping points off the board. Uh, they were, hmm. you know, very good in the red zone and only gave up about 20 points a game uh, when you factor out a couple of the, you know, defensive touchdowns that were scored against them and that kind of thing. And, you know, that, you know, that is that a glass half full, half empty thing? I don't know. I mean, they, they can't be giving up 250 rushing yards a game this year if they're going to compete. That's got to improve a lot. Uh, but their linebackers are really good. The D-line has to be better. Uh, I think that's probably the, the one unit where Bob Nielsen was pretty candid about, like, if we're not better there, it, it's going to be trouble. Because, you know, they run that 3-4, which not a lot of teams do anymore. Um, and if you can't stop the run there, I don't care how good your linebackers are, you, you're going to get pushed around and you're not going to be able to get off the field. Um, but, again, they, they, just, they don't – do they have that depth that SDSU does? No. If they were to get hit hard by injuries or COVID or whatever, you know, I could see things – getting away from them a little bit. But if they can stay healthy and just get a few of those young guys to improve a little bit and some of those new uh, skill guys, particularly at running back, um, to, to step in and play well, I don't think it's at all out of the realm of possibility seeing them being one of those six, seven, potentially eight win teams you know, that's in the hunt for the playoffs. So we just crossed the half-hour mark of the first. Uh, nobody's listening anyway with Gaskins and Zimmer in three months, and we get ready for football season and we've mentioned to go a half hour, partly by design, without really mentioning the pandemic and what kind of roadblocks it will make even for this upcoming season in all sports. Less of one than it has been and was last fall and last spring for college football and for, for the FCS last spring. But, you know, it was... A, we have the Delta variant. We have uh, a big ongoing uh, nationwide kind of feud that shouldn't be political, but is, and we, we can't avoid it. And it, it applies to every any anybody that fields a sports team 
this upcoming fall. It could apply if the pandemic gets worse, if the Delta variant gets out of control, if not enough people get vaccinated. Uh, vaccination is going to prevent the uh, spread, whether people believe in a vaccination or not. In South Dakota, this is a hot-button topic. Sturgis is going on right now. Uh, we can't avoid it, and we are. I, I, you know, I think we can be adults here and have a good measured discussion without pissing too many people off. So at SDSU, which is still your main beat, a big you you mentioned last year. I don't you can't I, maybe you can't put a percentage on it or weigh it, but a, a part of the reason why they were successful beyond the talent, beyond they've been good for a while, and they've built the thing was they didn't uh, they handled the COVID thing well. They did they weren't the reason. Correct me if I'm wrong for any of their games getting canceled or moved. Uh, John and and so you wrote a big thing on that late in the season of of John Stiegelmeyer's leadership in in navigating that and this was not necessarily pre-vaccine but still at a time when you're testing a lot and yeah, it was pre-vaccine it yeah, was pre-vaccine part, yeah. okay for the most part yeah yeah okay well now what's the, the what's the deal on the percentage of vaccinated players and john stiegelmeyer's feeling about that they're working on it um they're not going to get to 100 percent. i don't even know if they're going to get to 85 percent, which was supposed to be the threshold to avoid testing, although Stig told me today, and I'd have to go back and, and listen to the quote again to make sure I got 100% right. So anyone listening to this, you know, I'm paraphrasing, take this with a grain of salt, but I think what he said was the league has gone back on its original call that if you get to 85% vaccinations, you won't have to test. That was what the thing had been. I think they walked that back. So I'll have to double check on that. But anyway, hmm. he had said at one point that they were well below that threshold. He told me today they're a lot closer but they're never going to get to 100%. And I asked him why, and he point blank, there are players on the team who have told him, I will not get vaccinated. And I said, why not? And they said, because they don't want to put something in their body that they don't know what's in it. To which I said, have they ever eaten a hot dog before? But anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, good one. Um, that's that's where it stands. And uh, what they're going to do at SDSU is, uh, if you're vaccinated, you get to go on with life as normal. Essentially, there is no covid and that's obviously not how it works, but that's how they're being treated. If you're vaccinated, you have free reign to do whatever. The guys who are refusing vaccinations will have to continue to live and toil under what they did last year, which is, you know, Zoom meetings and, you know, getting your lunch to go and having to be, you know, separated and w- whatever the exact uh, steps were that they were doing and everything. And and there will be testing for those guys, too. So I don't know why um, anyone would, would choose to do it that yeah. way. Other than they probably have some, you know, QAnon parent or something at home telling yeah. them that they're not supposed to vaccinate. I don't know. Um, I mean, you know, we talk about how it's political. I mean, I come from a long line of Republicans in my family, and they're all vaccinated, and they didn't give it a second thought. So I don't, I don't necessarily see it as political. I think it's just too much misinformation out there and people not trusting the right people. I mean, the idea that you're going to listen to your something you see on Facebook over your doctor or Fox really confusing to me. Yeah. So, yeah. And, I, yeah. uh, and you know, John Stiglmeyer is a, a very conservative person. Every time I'm in his office, he has the TV on Fox news. Uh, He's vaccinated and he is strongly encouraging all of his players to vaccinate, but he can't make them. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see how this goes. Well, I mean, the good thing for the Jacks is they, they found a way to get around it last year. And I, I shouldn't even say found a way. I mean, they were very intentional as soon as they realized they had a chance to have a season they drew up an extremely detailed, lengthy plan, essentially, for how they were going to handle COVID. And Jonathan Schaefer, one of their uh, staff members, 
you know, gets a lot of the credit for doing an awful lot of work and research. And, you know, they went the extra mile to make sure that they could stay healthy and guys didn't get sick and it paid off and they got 10 games in, you know, there were other teams out there that got in three or four. So they have some experience handling this. Uh, but I think as long as cases are still surging with the Delta variant and people not getting vaccinated and certain players choosing not to get vaccinated, I mean, if I'm the Jacks, I just hope that, you know, one of those players who refu- is refusing the vaccine isn't Chris Oladokun or Isaiah Davis, you know, yeah. because uh, you could lose them pretty quickly if they're not going to take care of that. Well, I, I believe in John Stegemeyer's conviction at, of getting the vaccination is a right thing to do. So you and your fellow human beings, especially your teammates nearest to you, your family, your friends, are going to be safe and won't get a deadly virus, a virus that is far more deadly than the flu and has proven to be so, 600,000 now. I don't know why people won't wake up, but you alluded to it. Uh, I also believe guys like him and Mike Zimmer, who if if Mike Zimmer is political, I'm just wild guess he's right wing. But I don't know if he <laughs> is or not. He seems to be very apolitical because even more so in the NFL than college football, all these guys care about is winning games. They care about winning games. And John Stegemeyer, I'm sure part of this is he knows his chances of winning games, i.e. fewer of his players and fewer of his most important players missing out on games. Uh, will the, the chances of, of that being prevented will, would be if they got vaccinated. I mean, because for everything you just said, for obvious reasons. So they won't get the freaking virus. Um, and that, you know, it bleeds into Kirk Cousins as well. And, uh, the, you know, it feels like the growing chasm between Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins and, uh, the ridiculousness coming from Kirk, whose own hometown hospital in his own small town in Michigan has now dropped him as a spokesman because I don't know, they're in the healthcare industry and, uh, much, I'm getting much like Sanford with Kelby Kravinoff. Uh, here in South Dakota, it was kind of quiet, but uh, you know, when you say that you got COVID already and you're not going to wear a mask, yeah, interestingly enough, even when you've built a, you've built the powerhouse institution that is Sanford, you're not the CEO of much longer of a major health institution when you have that kind of idea toward a deadly virus and the worst health crisis of our lives that is real, and uh, it's just. Uh, it's mind-numbing to me. It's not su- nothing surprises me anymore. I, I just can't believe for like Kirk Cousins who'd rather have sit in a room with plexiglass around him to <laughs> isolate himself from his teammates that he would be that selfish, that he would be that selfish um, to die on that hill. And that's Kirk Cousins. If you're just a SDSU football player, forgive me, that's a much smaller football world and you're dying on the hill. Uh, yeah. To not get vaccinated is uh, absurd to me. At the very least, just do it for your for your teammates and your team and what you're on scholarship to do. No, we can't make you. Um, you know, and I'm not necessarily opposed to the libertarian thoughts of government shouldn't force me to do this and do that to my body. Fine, you know, but it just kind of makes sense uh, because. Uh, I don't know. Over, well, over, go, go ahead. Over 90 per, I'll just say this and I'll let you go. 90% over 90% of people in the healthcare industry uh, have been vaccinated. And about 100% of major politicians and that includes Republican major politicians including Donald Trump have been vaccinated. Been vaccinated. They've been vaccinated. Been vaccinated too. Yeah. They believe in being vaccinated because they right. know you're you are sub, you are astronomically less likely. Yeah. To get a deadly virus, anyway. Well, sorry. I think uh, I I think 
possibly this is going to end up taking care of itself just with more and more businesses and schools um, following the lead that, you know, Sanford Health did it here locally. Now you're seeing some major universities doing it. I think we're going to reach a point in this country where it's like, if you want to go or do anything, you have to be vaccinated. Yes. Uh, It's, it's been slow to roll out that way because I think so many businesses and and leaders and people are just so afraid of the mob or whatever. But I I mean, ultimately, usually, you know, the truth prevails. Um, And I think everyone's going to realize this is stupid. And, uh, you know, people can talk all they want about their rights and, you know, I, you can't make me do this and I have a right to not put that. You're absolutely right. You absolutely have the right to not get vaccinated. What you don't have the right to do then is tell everyone else, you know, like that right doesn't supersede South Dakota State University has the right to say, okay, you're not going to get vaccinated. Cool. That's your right. You can't come to school here. You can't play football here. The Minnesota Vikings can tell Kirk Cousins. Now, you know, the contract guaranteed money that throws a wrench into it. But in theory, the Minnesota Vikings are an employer, no different than Walmart, Sanford Health, the Argus leader, you know. Yeah. And they can tell Kirk Cousins, yeah, you do have a right to not get vaccinated. And we have a right to tell you, you can't work here anymore. You're fired. And I think that's going to happen everywhere. You know, it, it's so funny to me how Republicans are, you know, talking. I shouldn't say Republicans, because, again, like I said, my family's Republicans and they're all vaccinated and they don't understand what the big problem is. But these people that are against it, um, you know, are the same people who, who defend the fact that, you know, South Dakota is a right to work state, you know, that they can fire you for the color of your T-shirt that day or something. But all of a sudden now it comes to the vaccine. It's like, oh, hey, 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 you don't have the right to tell us that we have to get it. Yeah, actually, they do. Yeah, they can tell they get to decide what the parameters are for being able to work there. And that's what's going to happen. Ultimately, is people are going to have to decide, are you going to get vaccinated or are you going to be unemployed for the rest of your life? And you're never going to be able to go to you know, a bar or a ball game or yes. whatever it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to get there eventually. Yeah. Well, um, I, we took the family out to, uh, as in the family, myself, Gilbert, my husband, our three kids, 15, 18, 21, went to San Francisco and Monterey. And, you know, to make that whole trip to travel, you have to, you don't have to show proof of vaccination in the States. If you want to fly for, if you want to fly out of the U S you have to have, uh, I believe you have to have a proof of vaccination. Um, and so therefore you have to get the vax and uh but we didn't have to do that to fly we gotta wear the masks and then we get to san francisco and the uh, the one night we stayed in san francisco and the kids were with us but we after dinner we told the kids goodbye and they went back to the hotel room and we were gonna go out to the bars and party it up a little bit have a little fun uh don't know if you heard san francisco's kind of a fun town and uh <laughs> well guess what in the in the district we were in and i'm guessing it's not that different uh, you could not go into a bar unless you had your proof of vaccination. Not only did you have to be vaxxed, you had to have the proof. Mm-hmm. So uh, to your point, that's uh, that's a real thing, and it's going to probably spread to other places. And uh, I think that's... I, I mean, I think that's a good thing. I want this thing to be over with sooner than later, and that's the highest percentage chance of it all being over with. And for us to all deal with it, uh, both from the health scare standpoint, but also from the just pain in the ass standpoint because of our favorite sports teams, having people who won't get vaccinated, which could present some problems, and also us having to talk about it because I don't really want to talk about it. But unfortunately, it's something that is there that will play a factor into a lot of... Uh, sports uh, that we have coming coming right up. Uh, first and foremost, our, our love affair with the great sport of football. 
any other any other things you have to add to the uh, Cousins thing? Because this is this is just the latest wrinkle to me in Kirk Cousins. Just uh, and Judge Zolgad, who's probably my favorite Vikings uh, writer and reporter, uh, wrote a great column about this last week when Kirk came out and said the ridiculous things about uh, about you know building uh-huh. plexiglass and still refusing yeah, to get the vaccine. Yeah. Is it's just the latest in Kirk Cousins, uh, who's a statistical machine. But that's all he is, and he hasn't proven otherwise, except for that one pass, that one overtime win in New Orleans in a wild card game. Uh, that uh, it's 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 everybody else's fault. It's never his fault, and he is more about himself than the team. And that this uh, yes, the COVID vaccination in team sports, especially major big billion dollar money pro sports, that's that's a litmus test of how selfish you are and how team oriented you are or not. And uh, so if you didn't know that about Kirk Cousins, if he hadn't proved that to you now, I think he has. I'm not saying he's totally nothing but himself, but um, but I think it's more about him than about the team he's playing for. Is that fair? I mean, maybe. I, I've i met Kirk Cousins, and he's a nice guy, but he's, I agree. he's weird. He's weird. Yes. He, he's just Looney Tunes. I mean, none of this <laughs> surprises me. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a weird freaking guy. Yeah. And nothing, none of this, like... I mean, when these things started making headlines about all this weird stuff, but I'm at peace with not getting vaccinated and I'm going to put a plexiglass wall around me and none of it surprised me. He's a weird freaking dude. I think that's a good way to end it. He's a weird freaking dude. Um, that's it. That's, we're out of time. We could complain about the twins, but why bother? Uh, we could dive deeper uh, next time and do uh, more college football in our area, but... Uh... This was good. I don't know if we're going to be able to do this next week. The Canaries have a Monday game, and I have to work all day. But uh, we'll do it again soon, Jim. Is it Was this worth doing again so we can do it again? It was so much fun, John. I can't uh, wait to do this again. I can feel it. I can feel it, especially after a couple of beers. All right, that's it. See you later. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck you. <laughs> you know, round drinks? Yes. Yeah.